My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Hello and welcome to She Started It, the podcast that explores female entrepreneurship through the eyes of an inspiring guest every week. I'm your host, Angelica Malin, Editor-in-Chief of About Time magazine and founder of the She Starts It Live festivals. From fashion to fitness, law to entrepreneurship, this series of She Started It will explore what it takes to be a female trailblazer today. Get ready to be totally inspired. Today's podcast is brought to you in partnership with Tide. Tide is the business current account designed to support small business owners like you. With no daunting paperwork and no monthly fees, you could open an account in minutes. They couldn't make it simpler, trusted by over 100,000 businesses. Download the Tide app to get started today. Justine Roberts is the founder and CEO of Mumsnet, an online community of parents sharing advice, support and product recommendations. Over the last 19 years, it has grown into the UK's busiest and most influential network for parents with over 10 million unique users per month. Mumsnet also hosts a network of around 10,000 influencers and regularly campaigns on issues including support for families with special educational needs, improvements in miscarriage care and freedom of speech on the internet. In 2011, Justine launched Grandsnet, a website for the original baby boomer generation to discuss relationship, news, culture, and not least, grandparenting. She was made a CBE in 2017 for services to the economy. Justine, thank you so much for joining me today. Can you tell me a little bit about Mumsnet now, where the business is at now and how you feel about it? Yes, well, so Mumsnet's quite old, I suppose, in internet years, which are a bit like dog years, where we're pretty geriatric because we started nearly 20 years ago now. And we have 10 million monthly unique users logging on and they're highly engaged. They're basically coming for the same reason they came back in... 2000 when we first launched which was to tap into the wisdom of others who'd been there and done that which was the whole idea of the platform and the business is you know we have a mixed model of advertising and insight and it's growing we've definitely always put purpose before profit always mm. have but it's but it is a profitable business to backtrack a little bit can you yes. tell me a little bit about what it was like the the landscape of the internet when you launched and how it's different to now yes well when i went so back in 2000 when well it's actually 1999 the back end of 1999 when i had the idea for mumsnet Everyone had an internet business idea. This was not revolutionary. You literally could not walk down the street without someone regaling you about what they were going to do in terms of their startup. So I, you know, I was just one of those people who had one but was in a position to start one. Unfortunately, of course, the landscape 
change quite rapidly because the dot-com bubble burst. Most people went out of business. The ones like us that had very low cost base survived. But it meant that actually people lost faith in the web. So mm. that initial gold rush and excitement all turned to, oh, this is a flash in the pan. People wrote articles about how the internet was never going to take off <laughs> and stuff like that. And And in terms of investment... The situation was it was just gone. It was just gone for five or six years. There was literally no money going. So actually, it really benefited you to be a low-cost running website at the time. It did. We were fortunate that we didn't raise money. I tried to raise money and went on a sort of, you know, a journey of near misses, really. But actually, the right model was very low cost. Actually, what turned out for us was a back bedroom operation was the right model, mm. which allowed us to grow the community, but without having to, because we there was no revenue. So you obviously couldn't afford to pay a lot of people. In so you're really office. focusing on the community? All, uh, yes. All, I mean, people often ask me, why did you keep going in an environment where for five years we literally made, you know, I mean, well, we never had to trouble the tax man, put it like that. And it was because the community so obviously was getting a benefit, you know, as it was growing, it was so obviously useful to people that it did seem like ultimately something must come of this. And actually, our members sent us money to keep us going. So I would periodically appeal for cash in a sort of national public radio style appeal and um, and they would send checks through the post. So, yeah. you know, it, it, it actually created a real bond and it the community became stakeholders in a way that I, I think has been really helpful mm. to us as a business. When you went to try and raise investment the first time around, what was the response like? Yeah, I, I mean, it was odd because I, I, I was very aware of the sort of venture community being very male, very young, and not really understanding the concept of, mm. you know, a mum, a platform for mums where they talk to each other. Someone nearly did give me some money, actually. Someone nearly gave me four and a half million pounds, but he wanted a young, childless man to run it. Really? He actually told me, you know, it's fine, it's a good idea, but I don't, you know, you can be chair or something, but I want my guy to run it. <laughs> no, well, particularly as childless, right? Yeah. Running mum's net. So I turned him down, but... Broadly speaking, I think, you know, we're it, it's not moved on that far. I still think all the money is in the hands of people who don't really fully understand the nature of the problems that mm. specifically women's businesses are often trying to solve. Mm. And as a business and a business model, so you had all those years where you weren't making money and then where was the shift? I think, well, what happened was that brands, big brands, became more comfortable with the social web post Facebook really and Twitter so for us we had to sort of hang on in there till Twitter and Facebook arrived in 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 the UK that was sort of 2005 2006 and then you got this sudden excitement about something called web 2.0 the social web Mm -hmm. and I remember you know looking at my co-founder saying we're we're web (laughs) 2.0 we've been web 2.0 for five years and isn't that exciting so at that point the more enlightened brands realised that actually what you needed to have with your customers was a dialogue and not a broadcast anymore. And so the braver ones started sticking their toe in the water. And, and it took about, I mean, still taking some other less brave ones to, the, you know, mm. they haven't even got there yet, really, to realise that actually people don't want to be told what to do anymore. They want to be, you know, engaged with. 
So really, in those years where it wasn't um, profit making, it was the commitment to the purpose of the website that was keeping you going in that sense that you were making a difference with what you were doing. Yes. I mean, it was it was it was really fundamental to people's lives. People would write to me and say, Mum's that has saved my life really? because I was postnatally depressed or because I discovered, a, a you know, a, a terminal illness or my husband has just left me or my husband's beating me up. And this community is basically there for me 24-7, helping me through things that they have some wisdom about. So mm. it was, there, there was some serious, and still is actually on Mumsnet, some quite serious problems that are solved by an anonymous online community. So it always makes me slightly, well, questioning when people always view sort of the web and the anonymous web as something um, nasty and bad and unhelpful mm. because I, I'm confronted on a weekly basis with with evidence that shows the opposite. Exactly. Yeah, well, there's now places for people to go where there just wasn't before and kind of niche communities and specific problems where you wouldn't have been able to before to find your people, I suppose. Exactly. And I think that, you know, the anonymity allows people to speak the truth Mm. about serious stuff that otherwise they wouldn't be able to. They wouldn't be able to on Facebook, for instance. But presumably the anonymity has thrown up some problems legally. And I know as Mumsnet, you've had some incidents. Um, can you talk to me a little <laughs> bit about that? Yeah, we, so we've, we've been sued a few times. Um, I think in the, in the early days that no one really kind of had got to grips with defamation law. Mm. Um, but we were viewed very much as a newspaper that published stuff as opposed to a place where lots of individuals got together and, and discussed things. So when we were first memorably sued by a sort of childcare guru for some of the things written on Mumsnet about, um, about her and her methods, she very much thought that we were checking all this copy before it was... Right put live so to, and to some extent the law had to catch up with that so mm. you know we were very involved actually in the new defamation law around um, digital publishing so so yeah there were a few test cases like that I think broadly speaking you know there are 30,000 different conversations a day on Mumsnet. I think we're actually sued quite little <laughs> uh, and we get into reasonably um, few the difficult situations because the crowd itself is quite self-policing so on the whole people will report stuff if they feel that it crosses a line and is unfair and we'll take it down so mm-hmm. that's very helpful what were you going through emotionally the first time you were sued yeah it was it was quite a big deal actually i think we led channel 4 news because it was a story about you know freedom of speech on the internet so I was very much in that kind of mad news cycle where literally every news outlet wanted to talk to us. So it it felt mad. Mm. And I also had a young child at the time. Mm. So I wouldn't sort of wish it on anyone. It was um, very stressful. We had legal letters all the time. But there's no doubt in terms of profile, it was it was good for mums now. It was very profile raising. Yeah. And I feel like maybe it's just something that every kind of online business goes through at some point and then you come out stronger because of it. Yes. We're a little um, sight and we've gone through it as well. Uh, right. OK. Um, well done. To <laughs> um, do you ever feel like a weight of responsibility because the website has become so big and you have so many active users? Does that weigh on your shoulders at all? I'm conscious that when I speak publicly, you know, I can't necessarily always just say, you know, whatever I think. And I have to be careful because sometimes I have a slightly oblique sense of humour. And, you know, I'm, I'm conscious that in some way I'm sometimes speaking for the Mumsnet community. So I have to be fair and balanced. Mm. That's I wouldn't say I have a weight of responsibility other than that. Mm. Really. 
being a spokesperson yeah. because you've become pretty high profile because of Mumsnet. Was that something you had to adjust to or did it feel quite natural? It took a very long time. This was not, you know, we're talking 20 years Mm. of and six years of of basically being entirely obscure (laughs) Um, and very, very poor. So, I mean, uh, I think it is great that Mumsnet has given a voice to a group of people that and actually more than that, people look at mum slightly differently, I think. You know, when we started, we were so patronised. I can't Mm. tell you. I mean, we sent one of our one of our community was um, went along to a G8 summit, but they asked for a blogger to go along. So an incredibly um, smart, intelligent, uh, educated member of Mum's Day, had PhDs and everything, went along. And she said she was with the press corps there and she came back. She said it was really weird. Every time anyone from the BBC or ITV spoke to me, they started speaking very slowly (laughs) (laughs) because they just assumed that she's a mum, she must Mm. be a bit thick, she does not really across public affairs. And so that kind of level of being patronised, I think, um, I'm... I feel we've moved on a bit from that. Mm. I hope we've moved on a bit from that. But even so in the press, the way that mums are often treated and the way that they're criticised, if we look at when Meghan Markle gave birth, it was like nothing could be done right. Everything Mm. was criticised and attacked. Mm. I think Mm. we still have a real problem with that. I think there is, I mean, there's a way to go, but I, I, yeah, I don't know what the hell's going on with Meghan Markle. That seems to be some other agenda um, that I really don't understand. I think there is also, I mean, we've often, there's often been articles, I remember the Sunday Times did something, once about which was shock horror mums talk about sex as if you know suddenly because you're a mother Mm. you're I mean it's actually the opposite of what's true right you can't be a virgin and a mother well maybe (laughs) maybe Mary could Um, (laughs) um, so it's that sort of weird you've got to be suddenly purer and holier than thou Mm. because you're a mum and that's just yeah it's false yeah. I mean, uh, and as is the idea that mums don't have any sense of humour because mums, that's hilarious. People are very funny and they talk about sex a lot. I was going to ask you, what are some <laughs> of your favourite threads on Mumsnet? Well, and, um, I'm often asked this and it's hard to translate, but it, the really clever ones are when people do parodies of stuff. So they'll do, you know, a toddler's, um, a toddler conversation uh, where they, it's like a mother's meeting and they're discussing their mothers. So, you know, oh, this woman's, or you know, she's a terribly difficult woman, but uh, every time she cuts up my pear, she does it wrong. And, you know, it's just, I, it's hard to translate it, but they are breathtakingly funny. It's almost like a script yeah. for a comedy show. And, yeah, and, you know, obviously the very famous penis beaker thread, which you may have come across, there are just bizarre often bizarre amazing some real some real eye-opening yes. stuff on my <laughs> um as a company um and the company culture i just wanted to touch on quickly mm. what kind of culture have you tried to create at mumsnet and what does it look like leading that culture so we we've actually recently in the last couple of years sort of articulated it in a form of a culture deck which we put on every job ad we put out so we we want to be very honest about what the culture's like at Mumstead and we want it's as much to say this may not be the right fit for you don't come if it's not as it is to say you know we're wonderful mm-hmm. it's just our culture so one of the things is I think from my point of view the culture has to fit you know, probably the founder or the senior team's personality. There's no point overlaying something you wish you could be, but you're just not. So, there, you know, we have five values that we've 
um, that we ascribe to, and they're essentially my values. You know, one of them is basically being lean, but that is actually because I'm frugal. And you have to be honest about that. You're not mm. going to come to Mumstadt and have amazing perks. Mm. It's not the way we are. You know, we have a, a functional office and we save money where we can. But, you know, the other things around, we would never have individual bonuses. It's all about team. It's all about collaboration. And we, you know, I believe in being fearless. One of our values is being fearless. So that's, we're, we're not cautious. We, we're prepared to take on difficult battles if we have to, often at a financial cost. Mm. And that's something that I think is important to our core and what we believe in. So, so I think my main point really about a culture and values is I don't think you can pick one. Mm. I think it is, it just has to be a fair and true embodiment of what you are. Mm. And you have to be honest about and it. Coming and coming out naturally. I yeah, suppose. and it won't be right for everyone. Yeah, I love that point about being mean. I interview so many founders mm. who say, oh yeah, we have like yoga classes for our employees and then there's like a smoothie Thursday and everything. <laughs> and I think what's well, really nice, but you know, what's the actual work like and are they fulfilled by the work they're doing I think yes. millennials and, and Gen Z in, in particular can get quite distracted by those really great um, well-being perks but actually yes. don't connect with the work so much yeah I think purposeful work is is the key mm. I mean look I mean we all love a beanbag and uh, we do actually have a table football fa- table and we do have beanbags there's but, nothing wrong with a beanbag <laughs> no, something wrong with a beanbag but um but it, it's more about I mean we Actually, to be honest, it's more about not wanting to waste money, uh, you know, and potentially have to lay someone off at some stage mm. because we'd wasted a load of money on very and jetting of, off to a ski holiday. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so I think um, it's and and having spent seven years where we only survived because we were low cost, mm. it kind of that gets ingrained into. Yes, you I suppose you've had that early experience yeah. of, of that crash, so. So you would be a bit more careful about these things. My friend worked at Innocent and every Christmas they'd take them all for a weekend away. And she absolutely hated it because they had to wear personalised Christmas jumpers that the company bought for them and oh everything. Oh my gosh. It's just too much. Yeah, just, you know, I'm fine having a drink with my that. colleagues. Yeah. But I don't want to sit in a hot tub. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamline my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Today's podcast is brought to you in partnership with Tide, the UK's fastest-growing business current account provider. 
Feel confident in your first steps as a founder with smart financial tools and 24-7 in-app support. With easy invoicing and accounting integrations, Tides is an alternative to traditional banks for small businesses like yours. Spend less time on admin and more time on growing your business. Tide are also committed to helping women in business and are offering our listeners £50 when you open a Tide account and deposit £50. Just visit www.tide.co forward slash she started it to get started. If you're feeling inspired by this week's episode and are thinking of starting your own business, why not come along to the next She Started It Live in London? Taking place on the 13th and 14th of March 2020 at Crypt on the Green in Farringdon, this two-day flagship festival will give you all the advice and inspiration you need to supercharge your career with over 75 incredible speakers. Book on Eventbrite now by searching for She Started It Live and use the code SHESTARTEDIT10 for 10% off. Flexible working. So, yeah. um, how much have you implemented that at work, and how does it um, how does it work in practice? So, in a way, one of the reasons why I wanted to start my own business was because I'd come out of working environments which had no flexibility and mm. in which parents, in particular, sort of had to pretend their kids didn't exist. So, I saw the senior. I, I mean, I worked at an investment bank, and then I worked as a sports reporter, and the few senior women who had made it often just never spoke about their children or their family life and and genuinely you know because they felt it would be a disadvantage and they wouldn't be taken seriously so one of the motivations i think for mumsnet was to be honest that about about parenting and family life which is your family comes first your you know your job may come a close second but it's always going to be second mm. so we wanted to be upfront about that and take away the sort of guilt associated with putting your family first so it's been part of our DNA we've always had people work flexibly from day one we absolutely try and allow people to work pragmatically so um, and if your kid's sick or or you want to see the school play or the sports day, you just don't have to ever lie about it. You just say, mm. that's what I'm working from home because my child's sick. I may not be online all the time, but I'll catch up later. And, you know, why not? Because some of this stuff around presenteeism and looking like you're always you're always superhuman is totally unfeasible and, and ridiculous and a waste of everyone's mm. time. And it's the but what I found with women particularly who who kind of pulled out of some of those higher level opportunities, it was not because, you know, they didn't feel capable of doing the job. It was they didn't feel capable of the pretense of being superhuman and they just wanted to be honest mm. and authentic. So it's part of our values is, you know, being honest, authentic and, and, and it's... It, family life comes first they felt like they were hiding something they were hide, having to hide something and and that's just um you know that's an easy cost to fix actually yeah. Yeah. as a business and as a result we have hired amazing talent people who would have left the workplace who will come and work for us and um we offer flexibility they offer massive flexibility back to us and we need that we're a 24 7 internet site so mm. it's it's worked i think the world is catching up a bit to this and we have a we have a flexible job site, Mum's Net Jobs, and uh, you know it's a lot of firms are beginning to look at the future of work differently. I think, and to embrace 
flexibility in a way that they haven't before. So that's great news. If you're a company thinking about introducing flexible working, but you're kind of a bit apprehensive or a bit nervous about how to put it into place, do you have any Mm. tips to share for what has kind of worked for you and the way that you communicate it with your staff? Well, I think you should have a long, hard look at all the things you do that you don't need to do. I think moving to a results work environment as opposed to a time work environment. So really, I don't actually care where my team are or when they're doing their work as long as the work gets done well. Mm. Um, So I think it's about reframing instead of having a sort of, well, here's your hours and here's your holidays. It's here's what I'd like you to achieve and looking at results. So I think that plus stripping out all unnecessary difficult stuff and and constantly asking people actually what would make it easier so some of the stuff is just don't hold meetings outside of core hours have core hours meetings so if you have people working part part time or flexibly schedule the meetings for when they're in not when they're out you know Mm. basic stuff like that do you think it's because sometimes we obsess a bit about the idea of work-life balance that the two are kind of two separate entities and you have to do a bit of one and a bit of other Mm -hmm. i think it's actually more of an integration system where you try to make them work around each other and not stress out about where the balance is yeah i I mean i don't really believe in this sort of work-life separation anymore most of us have a, a, a portable device that allows us to work you know whether we're on the loo or on the tube or wherever and most of us do so the idea that you have to be at your desk in front of a computer to do work is is bizarre and outdated do you think that that however just to play devil's advocate for a second Mm. might be why so many people are experiencing burnout quite a lot younger because that sense of like doing a bit of work here and a bit there and kind of trying to integrate them a bit too much i don't know because uh, i remember back to the sort of whole sunday night dread of of the misery of going back into the workplace. I mean, I certainly don't get that because I don't really have any separation. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, you know, you could, it could. I, I don't want to dismiss it, but I mean, equally, you could argue, argue the always-on social media kind of pressure is is as much to blame. Mm. Um, personally, I think mobile phones offer a great opportunity for massive productivity. So there's never any downtime, and for me, that's that's great. Yeah. But clearly, I think it's also beholden on employers to make sure that they're that they are listening to concerns and and you know where necessary, telling their telling their people to switch the damn things off. Yeah. <laughs> Go to the park, have some yeah. fun. On entrepreneurship more generally, um, did you always see yourself as an entrepreneur? Had you had desires to start your own business? No, it makes me laugh. I still kind of not necessarily. Um, comfortable with the label actually I just started a business mm-hmm. and I always make a joke that men open a cupboard and they say they're an entrepreneur <laughs> um, whereas women just say they started something you know they gave it a try so no I mean I, d- I didn't really ever think oh I really want to be yeah I want to run my own business so it, it just worked out for me at the time of life that I was in and it was a project that I was excited about And I think now female entrepreneurship has become such a hot topic and everyone seems to be really championing female entrepreneurs. Um, Are you happy about that? Do you see yourself as someone who's pioneering the female entrepreneurship movement or do you just think that maybe we're placing too much emphasis on gender? And I think I think the numbers around funding for female startups are still really disappointing. And for me, that means that probably it's more likely that women's 
stuff is less likely to be addressed. Mm -hmm. So there are fewer businesses being set up to solve problems that directly affect women. I think that's probably still true. So I think it is an important thing. I think having more women in tech, Mm -hmm. you know, tech is, is... you know, where a lot of the what 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 is made but on the internet, what is out there is so important, I think, that I think it needs to have a diverse perspective and not just women actually, diversity in all its forms. So I think it's um I'm happy that there is more of a focus on female entrepreneurs. I ha- I'm happy that it's somewhere that government is is looking and maybe through some nudges can help support more female-led businesses. You've spoken about having uh, the need to have more female investors. Yeah. Um, can you talk to me a bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I think it is this... I, I mean, I, I once sat on a competition with a rather famous entrepreneur. It was his competition. And there were two female judges and eight men, I think. And the two finalists were uh, a product called Cauliflower Rice, which you may have tried, yeah. which... Um, um, has done very well and an advertising hologram and the two women were absolutely clear cauliflower rice is amazing that solves an amazing problem which is how do you get your kids to eat vegetable it's you know nutritious easy and the rest of the audience all voted for the advertising hologram Mm. which to me does not really add to the sum of you know human advancement and that struck me as they just simply didn't understand the problem yeah. that those women did um me being one of them and and that's in a nutshell what i think is the problem with venture capital being in the hands of men they just don't necessarily understand the problems that are being solved you when you, when it comes to investing you invest in things where you get it right you understand yeah this could take off because it solves a problem that i totally relate to and that's just less likely to happen when all the investors are, you know, of the same background, shape, form. They're, 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 it's gonna, they're going to invest in a narrower set of stuff. What changes do you think need to happen f- for there to be more female investors? Well, I think, uh, you know, I think it's difficult because it's basically about cash. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, most of the cash is in the hands of, of you know, of a particular type of mostly white male. Mm. But um, but the government are doing, they're looking at this and they're trying to encourage more startups. So some some of it is about confidence. You know, I've sort of slightly joked about, I don't, I wouldn't call myself an entrepreneur, I just started something. Well, actually, I'm not necessarily, I know that isn't necessarily a great role model. I think women should be bold about yeah. stuff and say, yes, I'm going to start a business, therefore I am an entrepreneur. And, um, you know, believe in their own ability to do well it's a bit of an imposter syndrome thing isn't it that you maybe don't a little bit cringed out by the title entrepreneur you don't really feel like you want to own it just feels a bit braggy yeah Um, well it's not that's the problem that you need to own it i know so i'm sorry to give you therapy right now no 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 no, you're completely right (laughs) i'm a terrible role model (laughs) you're a wonderful role model but you're also an amazing entrepreneur and you need to you know be able to say that with confidence and what advice would you give people um wanting to start their own business budding entrepreneurs as it would i think the main thing is make sure you have something that is that you utterly believe in and is a, is a unique proposition that you can really put your heart and soul into because the the journey of entrepreneurship or starting a business is tortuous there are ups and downs and unless you are passionate about it 
then I suspect you will not be resilient enough. Mm. So I think passion is is the key thing. I've seen lots of people, that whole incubator model of starting several things and seeing what sticks, and they tend to fail because of that. But the moment there's a problem or a hard time or a, a pivot needed that's hard, um, they're not passionate enough to yeah. see it through. So, I mean, mum's next story was really, it, it was going to, I was going to carry on doing it whether it was a successful business or not because for me it was purposeful and fulfilled a need and that was very helpful because it meant I could sit out six years of not being paid really I'm not saying that's necessarily the right model but but the 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 point really is that I think you need resilience and that comes from being passionate about Mm. something what's the hardest time that you've been through like as a business I think the hardest time was when we were kind of serially hacked. We had a combination of sort of uh, a a phishing attempt, uh, denial of service attack where our servers were swamped, and I was swatted, which is not a nice experience when someone sends a SWAT team around to your house saying, in my case, saying there'd been a murder. Um, And actually a Mumsnet user similarly was swatted. So it just felt like we were being attacked from all sides and there wasn't much anyone could do about it. I mean, clearly we invested heavily in security of the site after that. So it was a good lesson in that sense. But um, but it didn't seem like the police were particularly interested in doing anything about it. So that was quite lonely, difficult. And the plus side, both the community and my team were, you know, we all rallied around and supported each other. Mm. But, uh, but it was quite a grim time. Is there anything that you do as a founder for your own mental health to get through periods like that, things that really support you? Just the same as, you know, it's friends and family, really. It's friends and family you turn to, um, and in my case, my senior team as well. You, 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 you need to be able to be honest about the fact that it's grim and difficult mm. and not just sort of put on a brave face. Finding that support network. Yeah, yeah. Are there um, any other business leaders that you really admire and inspire you? Yes, um, lots. I mean, lots of people, I think most sort of um, close to home probably is that I'm on the board of an insurance company. God knows why they have me really, but I am. And um, it's a very big insurance company. It's grown in 25 years from um, nothing to be the biggest car insurance company in the in the country. And uh, what I love about it is they have kept their culture. So they are incredibly warm, friendly company they look after themselves all their staff um, have shares um, and that's why they've grown so uh, I think the founders have been inspirational Mm -hmm. in expressing their values and uh, living their values for me that's that's quite amazing that you can get to a staff of you know several thousands and still keep your culture. Yeah, yeah. managing that culture as yeah. you grow, I suppose that's a real challenge. Yeah. And then finally, it's your 20th anniversary coming up soon. What, what do you have planned? What's the celebration? Uh, well, we're going to have, uh, well, we're going to do um, a big research project actually about how motherhood has changed. And then we will have a party, but um, um, the, I'm not sure all the details have been finalised, but at our, our 15th, we had Boris Johnson speak. And at our 10th, we had Gordon Brown, who was the Prime Minister at the time. Mm. So I'm not sure who the Prime Minister will be for our 20th next year, but hopefully we'll get them.
Fantastic. And are there <laughs> any other kind of causes that you're championing at the moment at Mumslet that you'd like to share? Yeah, well, we are, we're right in the middle of a campaign to get every big company to publish their parental leave policies because very few do, actually. And it's one of the key things that matters to our audience when they take a job and yet they can't ask an interview because they feel they'll be discriminated against. Mm. Um, so that's going well. We've um, had and we've contacted all the FTSE 100 companies, and loads have come back and said they will change and they will they will look at publishing their policies online. So that's great. We're about to do something about the menopause and provision of quality provision of treatment for the menopause, which is really patchy. So lots, there are lots going mm. on, but um, we don't sit down at the beginning of the year and say, what are we going to campaign on? We see what comes out of the forums. Yeah. So those are two live issues at the moment. Led by the community. Yeah. Justine, thank you so much for coming to chat to me. If people would like to go and find out more and follow you online, where should they go? Well, I do Twitter mostly, yes. So it's Justine underscore Roberts. Fantastic. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate and review so more people can find the show. Until next time, keep dreaming and achieving. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.